So we're continuing our series on the parables of Jesus. This is the third week, and I'm having a good time. I don't know about you guys, but I love Jesus' teachings. I love his parables. And as I said last week, parables are narratives. They're short stories um, that are oftentimes confusing, not always clear-cut. It's not like a morality play where... X equals Y, you should do this. Um, But parables were Jesus' way to invite action and invite people into deeper relationship, into deeper discipleship. Um, So you'll see in Matthew, for instance, that Jesus will teach them in parables, teach the people in parables, and it'll only be certain followers or certain people who will go to Jesus afterwards and say, what did you mean by this? And then the scriptures say that Jesus told Uh, spoke to them in parables, and he uh, taught his disciples clearly what they meant. Um, And he says to his disciples even, to you has been granted the secret of the kingdom of heaven. And I mentioned how that follow-through, asking the question or pursuing more than just the head knowledge or just sitting there confused, but actually pursuing Christ and following and saying, what does this mean? Right? What does this mean for my life? initiating um, that that is at the heart of discipleship. And so a parable, kind of, we are asked to step inside the story and then to ask the question, what does this mean for me? What are you saying to me, God? What are you saying to me? What are the implications for my life? How do you long to disciple me? How do you long to transform me? This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus told this parable Luke 13, verse 6. A man owned a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. He said to his gardener, Look, I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree for the past three years, and I haven't ever, well, I've never found any. Cut it down! Why should it continue depleting the soil's nutrients? The gardener responded, Lord, give it one more year. And I will dig around it and give it fertilizer. Maybe it will produce fruit next year. If not, then you can cut it down. So before I dig into this passage, if you can hit the next slide, I think. You're fired. I saw another meme that said, Donald Trump, you're fired. Um, for that, for that headpiece. Anyways, how, how far would you go to get fired? Or how far, how far would you have to go to get fired? And this is kind of an invitation into my brain and how I think. Oftentimes, I haven't always been a pastor. Sometimes I've had odd jobs here and there. I did campus ministry for a long time. I worked as a mailman for two years. I've worked in factories, on the assembly line, cherry picking, everything you can think of. And um, I've also worked for the federal government, for the state, and sometimes when I'd be working, I'd get, be so bored, I'd be like, what would it take for me to get fired in this situation? <laughs> right? Have you ever thought about that at work? <clears throat> the answer as a state or federal employee sometimes is nothing, really. <laughs> um, sometimes I'd imagine jumping on top of my desk in my cubicle and saying, Jesus lives! Woo! Would that get me fired? Probably not. I don't know. Um, 
But I've known some people, I've worked with some people that I was totally surprised. Like, are you trying to get fired? They're calling in sick all the time, taking extra breaks, disappearing when it got busy. All of a sudden, I'm left with the rush. I would get frustrated because, you know, I grew up with an Asian American kind of work ethic instilled in me. Be good, be obedient, follow all the rules, work hard, and someone will, someone will recognize you. But let me tell you this, this is a side note, that's a lie. You work hard, you be good, no one recognizes you, all right? right? That's why they call privilege, privilege, right? Um, but anyways, so I thought, you know, if I work as hard as I can, right, and, and I'm always working, and, and I grew up kind of with the ethic of, you know, anytime I have like a second off or a minute off, um, anything to spare, I would feel guilty, right? It's so instilled in me. I, I need to be doing something. I need to be like filing something. And there would be this guilt. So I just didn't get it. When people all around me, and this is especially if you're working for the state or as a federal employee, people are taking breaks, people are just chilling, right, talking, chatting, I'm like, I'm working harder. And the boss comes around, great job, Bob, great job, Fred. what about me, I'm working here, right? And so what would it take to get fired? I would always think about this. And uh, should I go up to my boss? What if I went up to my boss and slapped him? And said, would I get fired? Like, what would it take, really, to get fired? Um, But even if, you know, you're working with this type of person, right, that gets lauded, gets credit for everything, but does no work, is lazy, is, you know, rude to customers, is not doing their job, and making you do much more, uh, If this person that you so despise at work, you're so frustrated with, uh, were to go outside, for instance, after work and get struck by lightning, one day after work, struck by lightning, would you say to them, oh, they deserve that, serves them right? No, right? No, because even after all of the stuff that they've done, no one deserves to be struck by lightning, right? And have their life take, well, <laughs> maybe. Some people deserve that, be struck by lightning. But right, it, the, it just doesn't compare, right? Scale-wise. Their life and like, you know, being a bad worker, um, it's not worth it, right? It's, it doesn't compare. Um, so just keep that in mind. Keep that framework in mind. Because this is actually a very difficult parable. Because we've got a lot of things mixed up with it. You know, all of us are amateur theologians, right? And we have a lot of thoughts about what it means um, to suffer. Why is there suffering in the world? And this parable naturally brings those issues up. You know, uh, what is judgment, right? How does our sin relate to consequences, right? Is our sin connected to suffering, right? And what is this, what is fruit, right? Do we have to... Aren't we saved by grace? Do we have to work for there to be fruit? And if we're fruitless, does God then cut us off? Everything about working and performance and like being a perfectionist in me, when I read this parable, is like, ah, overload, right? What am I supposed to do, God? Are you cutting me off, right? What's happening? 
Um, so in context, this parable in context, again, it's in Luke 13, 6 through 9. But Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem, and he's teaching his disciples in the crowds as they go. And there's this ongoing drama with the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, because he's teaching, the crowds are following him, and he's saying kind of crazy things. He's teaching, and people are getting upset. So he's, he's telling parables, teaching the people. He's talking about things as, such as money. He talks about a rich, foolish man um, being good stewards, being alert, and being ready for the kingdom of heaven. And he concludes all of this uh, by addressing the religious leaders and suggesting to those listening that they're missing the point, right? They're missing the point um, because they're complaining, they're grumbling. And he basically says to them, you're able to look at the weather and tell the signs, right? You can see the skies and you can say, oh, this is happening. You can see, look at the wind, you can hear the wind and the rain, and you can say, oh, this is going to happen. This is what's going on. You're so good about that, but you're utterly clueless when it comes to reading the signs of the times. And so, of course, in response, and this is, that's the end of chapter 12, and at the beginning of chapter 13, in response, the people are like, well, did you hear about the Galileans? Right? You don't think we know the signs of the times? You don't think we know about the times? We know about the times. Did you hear about the Galileans? What do you think about the Galileans? And the Galileans apparently were a group who were executed and murdered by Pilate. And Jesus, kind of getting their intentions, calls them out and he says, he asks them, do you think that these Galileans suffered more because they sinned more than you, right? Do you think they were killed and they, bad things happened to them, really bad things, the worst things happened to them because they sinned more than you? And before you scoff at these religious leaders, before you laugh at them saying, ha, oh, those people, um, I would say that this is a common implicit belief many of us hold, right, on a regular basis. When bad things happen, is it somehow our fault, right? In fact, when I walk around and stub my toe, right, I'm like, God's punishing me, right? <laughs> so I did something back there, and that's why all this bad luck, where does that come from? I know where it comes from. It comes from my aunt, right? Because every bad thing that happens, she said, God punish you, God punish you. But when you come to, you think about it, really, it's funny, but we think this way, right? We really think this way. When they're suffering, or when bad things happen, or things are amiss, we wonder, is it somehow my fault? Right? Who did something wrong? And it's all throughout Scripture, right? When there were storms, uh, and the ship was about to sink in Jonah, people were like, who? Everyone, pray to your God. Someone here is not right with their God. So pray. And let's throw the... And Jonah's like, throw me off the ship, because it's me. And they throw Jonah off the ship. The storm's gone, right? It's in, it's in our mindset, right? But I think Jesus is not a, uh, talking about just our personal daily superstitions, right? We have personal daily superstitions. Um, 
But what he says to the Pharisees is, unless you repent, you will suffer more than they did. And this is a difficult teaching as well. It's like, well, is, why is Jesus being mean? Right? Is he saying, is he even confirming it even more? Like, unless you stop doing bad, you're going to suffer more than they did. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what Jesus is saying is judgment belongs to God. Right? Judgment belongs to God. It's not based on our kind of daily whims or like this bad thing happens. Oh, I must have done something bad. Or a natural tragedy, natural disaster happens to that country or to those people. Oh, God is punishing them for sexual immorality or whatever. It's not about our kind of gauging this or that or putting our you know, superstitions on the scale of suffering and doing bad, right? What Jesus is saying in the, is there will be judgment, right? And unless you repent, right, and come to God, instead of looking at all of these people, right, and putting kind of a narrative, your narrative around why this is happening, why these people are suffering, because clearly they must not be righteous, right? Instead of you making these narratives, worry about what's going on with you, right? What's going on with you? So Jesus isn't getting rid of, like, the notion of judgment, like ultimate judgment, right? But I don't think this is the focus and I don't think it's Jesus' focus in this, pas- in this passage. A good steward um, there's a man who's a good steward of his land and his crops, right? And this landowner comes to someone who's working for him, working the land, and says, "Look at this tree." And there's two problems, right? The first problem is, this tree is worthless, right? It's not producing fruit. It's been barren, right, for three years. And it's taking up space, right? We could just take this tree out and plant a new productive tree, right? So it's time to cut this down. And anyone who's a good farmer, a good landowner, a good steward of the ground, that makes sense. Right? If a tree is not bearing fruit, if a plant is not bearing fruit, it's sucking up nutrients right, for the leaves and for the branches, but those nutrients are being wasted uh, without fruit. Right? And so if you're a gardener or whatnot, sometimes you prune plants. right? You prune roses, you prune trees, you prune bushes. Um, you prune with the hopes of cutting off the dead weight Right? Cutting off the things that aren't necessary, aren't producing fruit, in order that in the long run, the nutrients of the soil right, will all go towards producing fruit, whether that be roses or whether that be apples or cherries right? or grapes. Um, and that's the point of pruning. But what we have in this situation is, is this the end right, of this tree? This tree hasn't produced any fruit for three years. Let's just cut it off. And I'll be honest, you know, uh, 
I think a few weeks ago, we celebrated our fourth anniversary. Renew is four years old. So I'm like, I'm reading this passage, and I'm like, three years, fruitless. I'm like, you know, I'm looking, God's punishing me, right? Like, he's about to cut me off, right? And that's the natural kind of guilt, kind of, you know, that theology going on inside me. What does this mean? He's saying to renew, unless you get your act together and start producing fruit, bam, you're gone, right? Hashtag church planning, no mo, right? <laughs> um, but I think the thing that has been pointed out to me as I've reflected and mulled over this passage this week is God's grace. God's mercy. Another way, a way to look at this is this is a parable about fourth chances. Right? Not just second chances. Not just third chances. But fourth chances. Um, because the man who's working the land says, no, let's just wait. I'll, I'll dig around the tree. Right? I'll fertilize it. I'll do my best. And then after this year, if it doesn't bear fruit, then we can talk about cutting it down. But let's just, let's just give it another shot, right? Another way to put this, instead of fourth chances, is God is patient with you. God is patient with me. God is about showing his kindness to his people. Or for you math people out there, grace, and this is what I was going to make us like, grace is greater than judgment, right? God's mercy and God's grace is greater than his judgment. Uh, and Paul in, uh, in Romans 2, verse 4 through 5 says to the people, do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But by your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. I think sometimes we miss the point of God's love and relationship with God because we see faith as an equation, right? We say, oh, if it's by grace that we've been saved, our sin makes us distant, right? Unless I repent and believe in Jesus Christ, I will go to hell. If I believe, I'll go to heaven, right? Do this, go there. Do this, go that. Right? But if you see sin um, as the state of a relationship, our, our place, our position, and our relationship with God, how, we, how are we kicking it with God in our lives, right? How are we hanging with God? Are we far are we near? Are we walking away? Are we walking towards? Right? And repentance is turning around 180, moving towards God, moving in the direction of God. Right? And so instead of hearing repent, oftentimes we hear repentance and we're like, oh, this, you know, growing up a PK, it's like, oh no, it's all the hellfire and brimstone. It's all the like, here comes my father's lectures, right? <laughs> About, I can't listen to rock music or whatever, right? Stop cussing. Um, or you're going to go to hell. It wasn't like, I mean, 
I'm exaggerating. But I think it's our theology, our inner theology sometimes, is strict, right? Is strict. And we, we're saying, oh, there's condemnation. For every little thing you do, you're going to get punished. For every little thing you do, right, you're going to be judged and he's going to cut you off. That's what's going on inside of us. It's people's. This is people's happening, right? And that's why Jesus is telling this story. He's saying, wait a second, wait a second. He's a landowner of fourth chances. He has a lot of patience for you. He's merciful, right? You look at these Galileans and you say, they were executed because somewhere they did something bad, right? We as people don't naturally embrace grace, right? We want to work for everything. We want to be punished for everything, right? At least me, right? Bad day, bad day, bad day. And it doesn't make sense. I do believe, I do have bad theology. I, I think somehow if I prayed more, this church would pray more. Maybe that's true, I don't know. Right? Or if I worked harder and I neglected my family more, we'd grow, right? I need to be one of those, right, type A alpha pastors and just put, just be totally engrossed in the ministry and this place will just blow up, right? I need to be a little meaner and less pastoral, right? And we're going to blow up. It's all about fruit and numbers. Bam, I believe that. Or maybe if I was a little less selfish or road raged a little less, right? There'd be more, the spirit would flow more freely in this place. That's messed up because it's not true, right? But we put those chains in our thinking, right? Those are our chains, and they're not the truth. Because what Jesus is saying is the kingdom of heaven is like this person, this gardener, right? He wants the plant to grow. He wants the tree to bear fruit. He wants all of us to thrive and to bear fruit and to live, right? Do you believe that? Amen? Amen. So the life of discipleship throws up daily opportunities for repentance and renewal, right? Every day we have the opportunity for repentance and renewal, right? God is desiring to grow us up. God is desiring to do good things and bring life to us. He's just saying, come, right? And this kind of daily rinse and repeat, this, this growth in in Jesus leads to fruit bearing, right? So in our context, what is fruit? This is always a hard one for me, right? What is fruit? Is it numbers, right? Production? For those of us, those of you in the business world, that's how it rolls, right? Production? That's fruit. That's what, that's what, that's what we are going to analyze things. Is it good works, right? The good works that we do is, is fruit. It's, it's a result of God's work in us, so we do good works. Is it the number of followers that an organization has or a community has or a leader has? The number of followers who are loving, 
and being merciful and loving justice. Is it the fruits of the Spirit? I mean, that word is actually there. The, this, these are the fruits of the Spirit. And I think um, that they can be all of these things, right? That numbers, sheer numbers, expansion and growth, you see that in Scripture and Acts, and God added to their number daily, right? But it's not numbers in the end of themselves is not the, like, the goods, right? Numbers, I think, are reflective of the fruit that's being born, of faith, of witness in the people. Are you guys with me? Good works. Just me loving on Phil. You need some money, I'll give you money, right? You need a girlfriend, I'll help you out. I'll introduce you to people. <laughs> right? Me doing good works, right? Totally self-sacrificial works, you know? It wouldn't be work to get that word. Um, <laughs> but is that fruit, right, in and of itself? No. Just because I do something doesn't make it fruit, but it's reflective of the fruit born in me that the Spirit is doing to love selflessly, to give uh, because of what Jesus has done in our lives. Um, being a church that loves mercy and does justice, right? Reconciliation, diversity, right? Multi-ethnic diversity, that's all. Does, is that fruit in of itself, right? Not necessarily, right? I've been on a lot of posters, my friends. Right? <laughs> Whitman College, I'm on the poster. I graduated like, I don't know how many years ago, I'm still on their posters. <laughs> diversity. Right? Just because the, you see diversity doesn't mean it's the fruit of that. Right? SPU's got me on right now in front of their library. I'm just I'm being facetious. I'm being facetious. Um, but the love of all of all people, right? Recognizing the Imago Dei in all people, right? That's the fruit. Having the courage and the desire to cross boundaries, right? And interact with people and love people that are different from us and to, to hear and honor voices, that's the fruit. Um, it is fruits of the spirit in many sins. Um, so if you follow the, uh, so I talked about the context before this parable, but the context after this parable, what happens after this parable, a major kind of scene is that Jesus heals a woman who's been disabled for 18 years. Right? And when he speaks to her, he says, woman, your sins are forgiven, right? You're healed. And she stands up straight after 18 years. And the Pharisees are like, huh? Right? They've got the, their boxers are all scrunched up. They're like, oh, oh my God. You've healed on the Sabbath. The Sabbath. How could you do that? Right? And Jesus is like, what? You hypocrites. This is what I mean by you cannot even see this. You do not understand your own times. You can tell the signs. You can say, this is good, this is bad. 
But you can't even look at your neighbor in the face and see a good thing when it's right in front of you. Right? This woman was crippled for 18 years. And you're worried about when I did it, how I did it. Just worry about how you saw the power of God in your midst and you didn't even recognize it. Right? That's what you should be worried about. So the questions I, I want to leave with us is, are you bearing fruit in your life? And I, want to be, I really want to be careful that, you know, this doesn't become like, oh, you know, more like hit yourself on the head. Are you bearing fruit in your life? Um, do you, are you experiencing change and transformation right, in your life? Can people see that God is in you? Are you? Do you feel you're close to God at this point in your life? Or do you feel like you've been moving away and you're moving further and further away and you just don't know how to get it back? The last couple of years, I'll be honest, it's been really hard to pray for me to pray. And I've, ha- I've had other seasons where my prayer life has been so rich. I'm hearing from God, right? I'm giving words to people. God said this, God said that. I know it, and it's working out. It's people are like, yes, that's true. In the last couple of years, it's just like, you know, I want to watch Netflix. <laughs> I can't pray. I can't concentrate. So what does it mean to kind of return and to be like, God, can you make this fruitful in my life again? So Renew, I I mentioned before, we're in our fourth year. Actually, we're in our fifth year. Um, And the question is, are we bearing fruit as a church, as a community? Are we living out, right? If we disappeared right now, would Seattle miss us? Is it time to take the tree down? Or is the reality that uh, we are being faithful and that God looks down at all of us and says, I am very pleased. God has a lot of patience for you. God has a lot of patience for us. God's patience is the exhibition of his love and his grace. God's grace is greater than his judgment. Um, so we've been at it, um, church planting, right? And church planting with the denomination. The denomination, the covenant denomination has been very kind and good uh, to support me and to support this church plant. Um, but with any organization, it's natural, right? To have benchmarks, to have metrics. Right? And, you know, from one perspective, you know, People can look at Renew or the job that I'm doing and saying, oh, you're not hitting benchmarks like we anticipated. Not, it's not worth the monetary investment. In a lot of ways, when you look at churches, right, what is the bottom line? Right? Sometimes the bottom line is money. Right? We got to pay our staff. We got to pay our pastor. Right? We got to be sustainable. And sustainable means 
the ability to reproduce and provide resources outside of ourselves. And all of those things are true. But what I also see in the church and in me is when that bottom line is there and that money is there or that that becomes the goal, we lose sight of mission and identity, right? Because I'm thinking about, oh, how am I going to get this person to give more, right? How am I going to fill the seats? How should I preach, right, in order to get more people in, right? How, what can we do with our children's program so we can get more families in? Because families is where it's at. It's true, families are where it's at, right? But not, not, just like fruit, they're not the fruit itself, right? It's what, it's the mission that's the fruit, right? It's, it's living out the mission and the vision, and the rest will follow, and not vice versa. And so, anyways, I say this to ask the question, just as the, the gardener says, look, right, don't cut this down, right? Let me give this, let me dig around this, let me give it fertilizer, right? And we'll see what happens. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for you? Right? To dig a little around the ground, loosen it up, to throw some fertilizer in your life. Right? If you haven't been growing, if you've been just like meh in your spiritual life, well, some of you know what meh is. <laughs> There's no way else I could say that. Right? If you're just meh, that's not... Meh is... right. God is patient, but meh is ultimately right? Not going in the right place. Um, so what, it, what does it mean to move? <laughs> Brandon is wearing a shirt that says meh. You gotta see that. <laughs> That's awesome. We'll talk about it later. Um, <laughs> meh is the new... Um, so what does it mean to fertilize and to dig around? Let's pray. God, thank you so much uh, for everyone here. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the blessing uh, that is our community of faith. And we know that, uh, that you have planted us and you've begun a work and you're continuing to do that work uh, in us corporately, but also as individuals, you are continuing to work in each of us uh, because you have a lot of patience, you have a lot of mercy, You've given us second and third and fourth chances uh, because you desire that we would thrive. You desire that we would be fruitful. You, would, you desire to send us out um, in love as your loving ambassadors. And so we want to embrace that. We want to absorb and receive the gift that is your grace and mercy and kindness and um, grow from that. In your name, amen. Thank you.